0: Welcome to First Online with Fran, and I'm Fran McGarry. Today's show will honor the famed comedian Norm Crosby, the deadpan mangler of the English language during the 60s, 70s, and 80s, who died at the age of 93. He started his stand-up routine by looking for fresh ideas and kept hearing people misuse words and started to use it in his act. He called the famed baby doctor, Benjamin Spock, Dr. Spook. <laughs> and with a straight-faced sincerity, he said, people should have an apathy for one another. They should have rapport for each other. <laughs> Today's kids, he said, gotta cut that umbrella cord and split. <laughs> and today, to make us laugh out loud, I welcome a fresh new talent, Gianmarco Saresi, to talk about stand-up comedy and finding humor in the middle of a pandemic. Welcome, Giammarco.
1: Hello. I have to admit, I had never, I've never heard uh, his work, of who you just talked about, Norm Crosby, and I, I just added his album to my comedy playlist, so I hope to hear it soon.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, God, we need to laugh more than ever today. For sure. And what I'd like to do to start our conversation is to talk about where your fresh ideas come from and how does that transcend into stand up comedy routines how do you do that
1: when i first started writing stand up you start writing furiously cuz basically we all go through the day and things happen and the first reaction is what the hell is this or what this is wrong or there's there's a hypocrisy here there's people lying here and that's the impulse whenever i have an impulse usually when i get like annoyed or upset or angry and then from there i try to find the funny thing where you're like revealing the truth of the matter in a in a quick way that really surprises you and people can find a commonality with so yeah
0: Take us to that place when you say, like, something just happens.
1: Sure. So, like, one, one joke that I wrote pretty recently, I said that I'm in New York City and they've, they've reopened re- indoor dining partially. But most comedy clubs here say they can't operate at 25% capacity, even though I've never seen them do otherwise. So the, the joke there is that, uh, you know, there's this thing where these comedy clubs are like, well, we can't we, sorry, government, that's not enough for us. And the joke, the frustration is, wait a second, I've performed at your club for three people before. Like there's not anyone there ever. So like you find what's kind of, what smells like BS. And then you're like, the joke is revealing it. Oh, I've never seen it over 25% capacity. And that's how like my writing process works.
0: So it's it's not about how big your crowds are as, someone we know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Look, at this point, after eight months of coronavirus, I would performed for one person, uh, outdoors at a park bench, over music in the background.
0: You know, you're making a good point, because I'm an actor and stage actor, and I so, so miss being on the stage and sharing that experience. And I'm doing new play readings via Zoom, but, you, you tough. just don't.
1: it's tough. I've it, done a couple the Zoom readings myself. I started in musical theater, so I've I got asked to do a couple and they are rough.
0: It's tough. I just did one last night and to my advantage, I'm also a TV actor. Mm-hmm. So I understand that stage experience, but I'm able to communicate that through the lens of, of the camera. For sure. And you know, it's, it's really tough. So how do you make that transition from being in that comedy club and having the audience there and everybody drinking and there to have a good time? Yeah, how do you adjust? How, what do you do?
1: It's hard. I mean, I've been doing, I've honestly been making probably the majority of my income off Zoom shows. I think my theatrical training made the Zoom shows more accessible to me than some of my peers who haven't explored. You know, like you said, we've had to, explore mediums before theater tv film and this is just it's even wonkier because you you still have to listen but you have to listen in whatever ways that you have available stand-up comedy a lot of it on my feedback when i'm writing new things seeing what works it's about hearing the laughter but obviously sometimes people are muted or the wi-fi is bad and in that case i will do gallery view where I can see everyone's faces, and I'm looking for a reaction from their faces and it's it's like it's a it's a handicap, but you have to cling on to whatever you have to see i mean i in the beginning, people were trying every medium for these shows. they were doing Facebook live shows, Instagram live shows. And in those, you can't hear anybody, you can't see anybody, so then you have to look at the comments. And if you have a joke where ten people write LOL, you're like, okay, good, I guess it's working. But it's uh, it's brutal. And I do hour-long Zoom shows, and the kind of energy, I I try to interact with the audience a little, just to like get them back, back into this, uh, to make sure they're there. Because if they become deactivated, it's just like. Yeah. It's, it's very exhausting.
0: Yeah, and you know, like what you're saying, I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm playing this comic character and you know, I'm delivering, but there's you, there's no laughter. You know, you don't know, do you think she's funny? Is she really connecting with the audience? How, how the hell does that, how does that work out? I, what I don't know is I've never, I've thought about doing stand-up, but I'm too scared. It's like I, that means I have, you should
1: do it. That's how you know you should do it,
0: you know, but it's like because I've got tons of material. I come from an Italian family uh-huh. so so right there and then. but I just don't know how you know how do you start? How do I start? How do you how do you get some of those funny things and and is there like a a formula for a stand-up comedy? Like should I follow a is there I mean, a book? I don't know.
1: I mean, it's one of those things where. There are books, but any standup co- comedian will be like, well, none of them are great. Or there are classes, and the class will at least like force you at the end of it, you gotta perform five minutes. But I think it's like, it's kind of like acting where, yes, the, the getting into it's challenging to figure out. Like with acting, you know, you could read an actor prepares, that doesn't mean you're ready to do a scene, but you kind of read, you maybe take a class if you can swing it, or you just go to an open mic, and try to tell a story and bomb, or listen to a lot of comedians. And me personally, I run my material by like my, my sisters and a few friends that will still talk to me after running <laughs> jokes with them for years. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, you might find, oh, I want to tell a story, go to a storytelling, go to the moth and tell a story that has funny parts, see what's there. Or if you want to do like one-linery stuff, the Trump joke you mentioned before interview, I, I say, I told my dad, if you vote for Trump again, I will not speak to you for the next four years. So now my mom's voting for him too. Now that's something I can call my sister and I can say, all right, I'm gonna run this by you. And I can hear if it pops, if it clicks, I can reword and yeah.
0: So you just come up with these ideas. I guess every, like every actor, we each have our own style. How would you describe yours?
1: It still feels very much like it's it's evolving. I started out because I was an acting background, like storytelling was my style, but then the more I got into stand-up in in the nitty-gritty, I like started to love one-liners. Like I love I love listening to a good Rodney Dangerfield album, or there's contemporaries like an Anthony Jesselnik, who like very concrete, mathematical, beautiful jokes. And I think honestly, spending eight months crafting jokes 70% over Zoom has totally guided more in that direction. Because when I'm doing Zoom, when we talk about feedback, when I do a one-liner, I can very clearly set up, punchline, did it work? Great. Set up, punchline, did it work? And I think Zoom lends itself to a more formulaic joke structure. And then when I get back out in the real world, I might gradually become a little more flowy. There's also like the more fame, you know, I do perform for shows with four people in the audience or 10 people and they're all wasted. Then when you get more famous or you get more of a following, you have a little more room to tell a story. You have their attention for longer. I don't get to assume I'll have people's attention. And that's the real difference between, I think a lot of actors when they go into stand-up comedy, we're like, you especially before anyone knows who you are you have to earn their attention with every punchline and if you lose it it's gone and you don't get to go hey i'm doing a show here it's gone
0: then yeah. what do you do
1: well th- then you, you figure out a joke that gets them back or you do some crowd work pokes fun at someone but you figure out tools that's why i think like even if you're it's a lot of stand-up comedians would would hate me for it because there's too many of us But I also think if you're an actor, if you do some stand-up, the nerves for doing a play reduce tremendously because you're like, right, no one's gonna heckle me as I do Death of a Salesman. And all of a sudden, like that space becomes so much more like, oh, this is actually amazing circumstances because I've been in a war zone of stand up comedy.
0: We're storytellers. That's what we do. We tell stories. I was a a teacher for over thirty years, you know, theater and English and then I was at NYU and then went from there and did other teach. I never saw myself, I, I was teaching theater, but I always thought of myself as the scholar, you know, the teacher. And then I lost this fabulous job and auditioned. And here I am at my stage of life, a working actor in New yeah. York. And I think artistic, creative people, we have that capacity to take le- leaps, leaps of faith all right, this didn't work. So I'm going to try this. You know, you mentioned that you were a musical theater. How, how did you make that leap? Because I guess I'm picking your brain here because sure. it's starting. I'm starting to feel like maybe I need to put this stand up comic thing together. So how, you know, I'm looking for a way. How did you do it?
1: Yeah I mean it's it was, it was more a matter of like other things like I was, uh, singing used to be my number one priority. I went to college for it as I said and I hit a wall. I hit a wall after four years where like I just didn't think my apparatus my vocal apparatus was going to be competitive in the marketplace. I kept running into walls that frustrated me greatly. So then I kind of moved into acting because I found a great acting teacher that I loved and and for a little bit, I would have told you that I want to be the next Daniel Day Lewis, even though I don't always like, you know, I'm not, I don't want to do a long day's journey into the night twice a day on a Saturday. That sounds like a nightmare to me, but it took a while to figure that out. And I ended up getting into stand up comedy. I had done a couple shows here and there over the years. Uh, I took a class once, but I ended up writing a play, and the play had a lot of like, Monologuing to the audience, I was the narrator of the play. I did a, a reading of it, and I had a producer friend who I was very close with. She had we had re- produced sketches together and all sorts of things, and she took me out for lunch and, like, very sincerely, very, very emotionally, was like, "You should do this." And I had always I'd always thought about stand up comedy, but the the lifestyle change is. Brutal. It's a very to be like, especially not a storyteller, but a stand-up comedian. That means every night you are out, and you get back at one in the morning. If if you're in this particular er- arena that I'm in, and I had to sit down with myself. I mean, I started at 27, and I I I was like, "Are am I going to do this or am I not?" And it took a year to like really get my hooks in. But once I was there, I felt. Oh this she was right. When I do stand up I'm getting like feedback from people like that was great that was special. I felt like I was moving quickly and and I also found with stand up that that's like that's the feedback system I need. I am someone who needs constant feedback. It can be exhausting. But with stand up it's like every joke is kind of like does this work? laughter great this laughter great and I realize it's just emotionally—that's what I crave. That's what makes me feel good. And a good stand-up comedy set can cure uh, many of my ills, and make me just walk away feeling just amazing.
0: A good comedy sketch. What's a good comedy sketch?
1: Well, do you watch? Do you watch like I, I said a set? Like a good set. If I have a good set, yeah. like if I do, if I do a ten minutes and I just like crush, I I walk away just feeling like. I feel worthy. I feel, you know, uh, for a moment, for a brief moment, all those feelings of doubt and like, am I just a, a waste of space? Go away briefly. And I like that, obviously.
0: Going back to what we, what we started with this conversation, you know, about those ideas that fresh, those fresh ideas. Has the past four years and being in a pandemic brought you to different perspectives of your humor than before?
1: Being like doing a comedy about politics is very tough. The more polarized we get, it can be very tough because, like, I'll go to certain places and it's fine if there's uh, Republicans in the crowd and I'm, a, I'm a, lib- a super liberal Jewish Democrat from New York. But especially with Trump, you would sometimes get a place where if you just said Trump, even if I was doing a joke that was poking fun at my own hypocrisy, but you just said Trump and you would have a certain swath of the audience go, yeah, woo! And it, it, the the energy in the room changes to like a, a rally. And I, I remember I did this one joke where, and it was true, so someone on Twitter, a Democrat, was like, I'd vote for the Democratic nominee even if it was Adolf Hitler. And I was like, oh, I thought that was weird because nobody asked her that. And like, and. And so people are laughing in the room, but then this, this there, I was in Connecticut at a casino in Connecticut. And this guy was like, yep, there you go. You'd rather be with Trump. And I was like, compared to Adolf Hitler. And, but like, but he, but he changed the energy in the room and suddenly I'm like dealing with like a kind of a fan who's like this. I'm just joking, I'm not here to change. I am not going to change minds with my comedy. I just, at most, I want to make you go like, oh, that's, that is, yeah. It, it, curious is the most I'm going to incite. And uh, I think this pandemic in the last four years in particular have, have made it feel, well, you, you can't not talk about politics. It feels like it has bled into everything. And I, I think it's a good challenge where, like, can I come up with political material that even if you're a Trump supporter, you'll enjoy and maybe maybe you'll enjoy it and you'll go like "Mm, he's got a point there and i'll do shows i do lots of shows because you do corporate corporate shows family reunion retirement community they always say to you they say don't do any politics and as a comedian there's part of you where it's like well screw you but i try to always like get a get a get a couple politics in there and do it in a way where no one complains it does well and if people laugh no one complains after the fact and you always have to keep that in mind
0: and that's so true because that's that's what i i believe in that's why i started this whole podcast thing because i was so frustrated at how people were just just being mean to each other we have so much meanness sure. but you know we, we're not we have to not look at our opponents as enemies, you know, what Biden said in, in his speech. And I really believe that the arts are our supernatural gift. It's It's a way that we can heal people through our humor. And I'm wondering, you know, do you think about that when you're creating these sets?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I enjoy kind of dark, twisted humor. And I don't fully think about like, how is this gonna help someone? I'm just like, if I focus on making this joke great, if I focus on making it a great set, more often than not, people in pain will feel good watching it. I at least, I take more from like, the comedians above me who have a big fan base and like there's Anthony Jeselnik is one of my favorites, but he's known as like one of the darkest one-liner comedians out there. Every joke is horrifying, horrifying. If you're not in the mood for it, you, you hate it. But people watch that. People have been through significant trauma in their life. And they write, you know what? This made me laugh. This made me feel good. This, this helped them in some way get through life enjoyably. And um, I think that's the key with comedy. That it, For me, it's more like I'm going to make great comedy. And if this is useful to heal people, that's great. But uh, I do think comedy have a little bite. And I think people who have gone through real pain, they enjoy that bite because uh-huh. it feels sincere to them. I, I've often found, I've done a lot of shows, you know, you'll do shows uh, uh, for, for older, a retirement community or older people. And there's always a feeling sometimes of like, I better be clean. This is my grandparents. But there's also sometimes you don't need to be. And it's like, oh, right. These people are 80. They've seen death and they've seen war and they've seen... And so they're willing to go to some dark places because they had to go there for real. So they're willing to, to go in it, in the comedic realm. And, uh, I think that's where healing can happen is sometimes in that really tough place. And if you can figure out a way to make it funny, that's, that's the best part.
0: And to make it funny, how do you make it funny? I mean, I, I, trying to deliver the lines like norm crosby did it's all in the timing and i'm like the worst joke teller because uh-huh. <laughs> i only remember the punchline. so i'll i'll go to my husband i'm like what was the joke that ended like this and then you know he's yeah, yeah. typical irish you know they know they they find with the droll humor that the dry wit which is why i i love him to pieces and I'm like, what's the joke that ends like this? And people are cracking up, laughing. You know, I just remember the the punchline. How do you how do you remember? It's all in the timing. Now I think of David Ives' play.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
0: all in the timing. That's why I don't know whether I could. I'm a comic actress, but it's different. Sure,
1: sure. Right? I mean, when you write it, when you write the joke yourself, and you figure it out, like it just. I rarely have to like study my jokes like lines. I do write everything out, not every comedian does.
0: Yeah, that was something I wanted to find out. Do you yeah. do you write a script? What what do you work from?
1: I write it out. I think a lot of comedians don't, and I think the 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 longer I go the more I realize that like my creative process, even though I'm I've been primarily a stand up for the last couple of years, my process is still informed by when I learned how to do playwriting and scene study. So I like to write it all out. My special, the, I just filmed this special for Amazon and I wrote it all out. I shifted things around. I deleted two words here and there and I reviewed it three or four times. So it's not not quite the same as like a play where you have to stare and stare. But I, I think the memory and the timing, once you write it and you figure it out and you really, that that one time you do it on stage and it gets a pop from the audience, It's just like, I think you're so happy, it it enters some part of your brain that remembers like joy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and it's being authentic. Yeah. And being true to your core. You called that, uh, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yes, uh, on the Amazon Prime. And you called it shelf life. And Uh being the former English teacher that I was, I actually looked it up.
1: What
0: what exactly does shelf life mean? Shelf life is the length of time that a commodity may be stored without becoming unfit for use, consumption, or sale. In other words, it might refer to whether a commodity should no longer be on a pantry shelf or just no longer on a supermarket shelf. (laughs) Shelf life. Yes. How does that connect?
1: Well, for a couple reasons. So first, it's just a matter of like this special particular, I I ended up writing a lot more topical jokes than I ever had before. Because when coronavirus happened, it just felt like so much of, especially at the first three months of this thing. I mean, it all happened so quickly where we shut down that it was like, it felt weird to talk about anything else, to go on stage and be like, so my parents are divorced and it'd be like, what, who cares? Like I can't go outside anymore, <laughs> and so I had to write new material fast. And I had to be aware that whenever the vaccine comes out, if if we do hopefully move back to a more normal place, this will feel like a particular part of history, and I might not be able to do a lot of these jokes. Uh, I talked a lot about politics. And it's like, you know, uh, some, some stuff in the special. And I say it in the special that, like, there's election jokes in there that I know they're going to be dated by the time they come out. Frankly, the fact that Trump's still contesting it, I'm like, well, it's not fully dated yet. We'll wait till it's all finalized. Uh, but basically, this special, more than I think I ever would do regularly, is uh, has jokes that will become dated and will hopefully feel like a time capsule of sorts. whereas normally like I think again that there's a divide where when you're at my level you want to create evergreen material because it could be years before you finally get to film it whereas if you're Lewis Black who people you know Lewis Black is a super topical comedian but that he partially gets to do that because he knows every year he can record a new hour he can record it when it needs to be recorded and he can get it get it out there so it's shelf life because that's the material there's also, there's also kind of a, I don't know what you'd call it. Maybe you can tell me as an English teacher. There's a thing in like social media where if you post an acting thing, you might go hashtag actor's life. And so there is that phrase of like actor's life, single life, brunch life. And so shelf life is kind of like what it is to be a comedian, what it is to be an artist, or if you want to get real deep, what it is to be a human, where it's just like, this is for a limited time only. And it's, <laughs> especially with comedy, you're it's like, Everything I do, it does have a shelf life, and that's the life I live. It's shelf life. So, yeah, it was either going to be called that or comedy night on the Titanic, and uh, <laughs> I like that one too. But shelf life felt nice and clean.
0: I like, I like shelf life. You said, you know, so looking to the future, where do you go from here? I mean, congratulations. Well, what was that? Can you? What was it like to do an Amazon Prime?
1: It's very cool. It's very cool. People from India want to see it, and so we have to resubmit to Amazon India. It's it's always a it's pro- got to get Indian subtitles. But it's been cool to have anyone reach out and be like, "How can I watch your special?" As opposed to, "Please watch my special. I'm begging you." Is a real nice change in pace as an artist.
0: And uh, yeah, bravo! I know.
1: Thank you, thank you. It would be very cool if. I think if the world were functioning more normally, it might lead to come to Kentucky and headline this bar in nowhere. Uh, and that would be very nice. And I'm hoping that the, the, the excitement from the special continues and when, when clubs are reopening, when the vaccine is, is disseminated, that I can maybe start touring, going around, and start working on the next special.
0: What's your dream?
1: I like John Mulaney has a career that I think is so cool. I my number one priority right now is just creating great stand up constantly, creating great specials. I know that for sure. I still have an acting thing in me. I still feel like I could write a, a good pilot or screenplay. But my my excitement and my priority and the thing that keeps me going is stand up comedy, and the idea of being able to do an hour or two hours of stand-up comedy almost every night and constantly working out new material. That seems like a, a, an exciting life to me. So that's that's my that's my realistic dream at the moment. And the unrealistic one is, you know, uh, movies and uh, mixed in with the stand-up, but.
0: Stand-up. What about Jeff Goldblum?
1: <laughs> sure. Well, uh, I'd actually, I actually, in LA, I reached out to someone, I've had my Jeff Goldblum impression has gotten, uh, some good feedback, and I haven't gotten a job with her yet because of coronavirus, but I'm with a, she only represents, like, impressions, so if a party ever requests for her a Jeff Goldblum, I'll be doing that gig, so we'll see.
0: <laughs> to, the, to close the, the podcast, give me a punchline. Where do we go? What happens? What's funny? What do we need to do after? We just, we
1: just we just got to be open to to exploring these mediums i mean you know the you're doing the zoom plays and and maybe it, maybe zoom won't be the answer to like how this stuff feels good again maybe it's this podcast but you're doing it like clearly we're we're all here we're doing something and that's life and the people who i'm sure you know you have friends who go like ah, i can't figure out the zoom and it's like, all right, then bye. It's tough. I'm, I'm, not, I'm at the age where like when TikTok came out, I don't want to learn a new app, but I did. And it's been incredibly beneficial to me. Not everyone needs to get TikTok per se. I think the struggle, and I think technology is always going to be the struggle where like your new technology is going to come out and it's going to feel overwhelming. And it, the longer you wait, to try to learn and figure it out the more it's going to seem like this impossibility and i think people are waking up to it to a certain extent but you always have to fight that laziness because then all of a sudden you feel disconnected from the world that that's what i'd say you just have to fight that laziness of like i don't want to learn a new thing
0: and like norm crosby said we should have an apathy for one another.
1: <laughs> Thank Perfect. you,
0: everybody. Thanks for, for this conversation, Jim Marco, I wish you all the very best. Thank and you. I will share the blog and your links so everybody can catch your show. And I have Amazon Prime, so I'll be looking forward to uh, watching your show. Congratulations. I love you.
1: Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Bye.
0: To find out more about what Fran is up to, go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Media and recorded at WeChief Studio Productions.